Well, if you're here and you've got your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, if you would turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, we're going to start there, and then we're going to work our way over into the New Testament to the book of Matthew. Then we're going to go forward again to the book of Galatians, where we're going to end up for the the remainder of the service. But Isaiah is going to be about uh, midway through their scriptures, and then hang a left, and you ought to stumble on the book of Isaiah. Pretty big book, you'll be able to find it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer while everyone gets settled. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that uh, the baby that was born in the manger did end up going to the cross so that we could be born again. Father, we thank you that he came once so that we could live again. Lord, we're forever grateful for your sacrifice. And Father, we pray that we would forever be grateful. And Lord, I pray that that would change the way that we act, that would change the way that we live and what we live for. And Father, I pray now, especially during the remainder of this hour, that you would feed your people, and I pray that you would use me to do it. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, hopefully you've turned over to the book of Isaiah. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 7. We're going to read verse 14. It's a popular verse it deals with, and you'll call the the young boy's name Emmanuel. You've heard it probably a hundred of times. I want to talk about briefly that particular prophecy within its context in the book of Isaiah. And I want to fast forward over to the book of Matthew. And I want to talk about how that prophecy is fulfilled, not just in Isaiah, but it's also fulfilled in Matthew. And I want to talk about the implications of what this fulfilled prophecy means. I was having a conversation this week uh, with my mom. We went on vacation with my family last week, and I don't remember exactly when the conversation came up. Okay. So sometime within the last two weeks, I'm talking with my mom and we're talking about churches that we went to when I was growing up as a kid. And we went to a particular church. I won't tell you the denomination. It went through uh, a, a pastor that had been there a long time. Then they had an interim pastor. And then they called another pastor who stayed for a good amount of time. We liked all three men tremendously. Uh, but that particular church, nobody in the church carried one of these to church. That should have been like a, <gasps> what do you mean? Well, don't, don't fault me. I was I was a little guy, okay, so didn't know any better. Uh, and my parents grew up going, or my mom rather, grew up to that church, and she didn't know any either. And so when the pastor preached, most of the time his sermons dealt around something about his golf game, about something that had happened that week, and he would tie in a story or two. And the church had a tradition of reading an Old Testament scripture and a New Testament scripture, but that wasn't usually done during the sermon time. And you go, well, my, what on, what on earth did they talk about? I've gone back and listened to some sermons from that church now, and, and they didn't talk about anything. Didn't talk about anything meaningful. Now listen, I'm getting somewhere. I'm not, I'm not faulting this church. That's why I haven't told you what church or what denomination it was. We got to talking more, my mom and I. And I said, Mom, does it ever bother you when you think back to some of the pastors you had in the past, and those men might not have been saved? And she said, yeah, it does bother me. One of the pastors mentioned, whether from the pulpit or whether in some sort of teaching time, that they didn't believe in the virgin birth of baby Jesus. And I put the brakes on and I was like, wow, you're, you're, those words came out of your pastor's mouth? Like, I can't believe he said that. She said, yeah, and he told us there was a handful of other things that he didn't believe that the Bible said also. 
And so what I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, about this child who's going to be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then I want to talk about uh, when the baby actually shows up. And I want to talk about specifically the importance of the virgin birth and why you can't be saved apart from that child becoming a baby on earth apart from the virgin birth. You with me? All right, so we all know where we're coming from. Now, just to set you up for this so you hang on real tight and you hang on every word. This might be one of the shortest messages I ever preach because I want you to go away without any doubt about what the sermon was about and its importance. You following me? All right. Good deal. Some of you have fallen asleep already, so it doesn't really matter how long I preach. Let's go. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Lord, I pray that you would guard my mouth. Lord, I pray that I would speak only your words. And Father, I pray that we would each be gripped by Jesus becoming a man through the Virgin Mary. And so, Father, I pray that you would guard our time today. And I pray that we would leave here more like your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in Isaiah. We're in chapter 7. And Isaiah is a prophet to the land of Israel. Israel's having some issues with some neighboring nations. Now, if you've read through the Old Testament and you've gotten up to the book of Isaiah, it's no secret that Isaiah, that Israel is having problems because they're not keeping the Old Covenant. If you go back and you read the Old Covenant that Moses gives to the people, God says, if you do this, 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 and this, then I will do this, 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 and this. And so basically, if Israel's keeping the law of God that one member from the land of Israel will put to flight a hundred foreign enemies. And if the land of Israel is not walking with the Lord, the sound of rustling leaves is going to put Israel's army to flight. If Israel's bearing children and nothing's going wrong and they're just reproducing magnificently in the land, then they're living by God's rules and regulations. And if they're, if they're plagued with famine, disease, and miscarriage, then they're not keeping the laws of God. This is all under the old covenant. You can read about it in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But in Isaiah chapter 7, there's a king named Ahaz that's having some problems with an, with an enemy nation. That's the, the land of Assyria. Assyria is coming towards them. The king is worried about what's going on. He's got his faith, and that country's not going to do him any harm. And the Lord comes through a prophet, Isaiah, and he tells Ahaz, listen, Ahaz, ask anything that you want of the Lord, and it'll be done for you. And Ahaz plays the role of a pious individual. He's not a godly individual, but he says, oh, who am I to put the Lord to a test? I can't do that. And so Israel says, so Isaiah says, well, this is what the Lord has to say to you. And it's in verse 14. So if you won't ask for a sign, well, I'll go back to verse 13. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And he will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy knows enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. And so the prophet Isaiah is telling Ahaz the king, listen, you dread those two nations. There's a lady who's going to have a child. She's a virgin now. The word virgin in the scriptures means oftentimes a woman of marriable age or a woman who has not known a man. You following me? All right, give me a head nod. I'll explain it more if you need to. All right, now you look awake. Now you seem, now you seem interested in what's going on. So there's a woman who's of marriable age who's going to have a child, a real child. 
through normal means of procreation. She's going to name that child Emmanuel. And before that child is old enough to know right from wrong, that the, the kings that he's worried about are already going to have devastated him. So you're looking at about mm, 10, 11 years or so. You following me? And so he says, through natural means, this is the sign I'm giving you. You're worried now. Your land is going to be destroyed in a short amount of time through a, a normal a normal course of events that you can follow. And so there would have been a real boy named Emmanuel in Isaiah's day. He would have naturally gotten older and people who knew about this prophecy would have been able to see his life progress and would have been able to know that they are on borrowed time within the land of Israel and the nation of Assyria attacking. Okay? So this is the immediate fulfillment of the prophecy of this. Now you flip over to Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. One of the difficulties of interpreting the prophetic books in the Bible is that there's oftentimes a near fulfillment of prophecy and then there's a further off fulfillment of prophecy. So there's a, a right now fulfillment and then there's a not yet been fulfilled element of prophetic literature. That's one of the difficulties of reading it and understanding it and figuring out exactly when the Lord is coming back because there's elements of prophecy that we just don't know until the Lord reveals it to us. And so now you're in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. One of the things that makes all of prophetic literature make perfect sense is when the New Testament takes an Old Testament prophecy and says, look, here it is. This is where it's fulfilled right here. That's where we can draw in pen, not pencil. So you're in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awaked from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Listen to this. And took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so you know the story of Mary and Joseph. You see the baby in the manger, and we talk about the virgin birth frequently. But I want to talk to you about why this is overwhelmingly important for the sake of your salvation. You could say this of Jesus. This, something like this gets said a lot. You could say this of Jesus, and it would be very true. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. Oftentimes we get caught up in statistics. Jesus was a hundred percent God, a hundred percent man. Some people say it was fifty percent God, fifty percent man. Listen, don't don't fool around with all of those things. Just stick with Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. Right? Because nothing about God becoming a man makes sense if we're going to be honest. Right? Right? That in and of itself is inexplainable. And so don't try to explain something inexplainable so that everybody can understand it. Some things are just too big for us to wrap our minds around. Jesus, the God-man, is fully God and fully man. And this is why it's important. Number one, if you remember back in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, God has created everything in six days. 
everything you've ever seen. Then man and woman are put into the garden and they're told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man and woman eat from the tree, they sin, and now their sin has separated them from God. God comes on the scene, says, why have you hidden from me? They have this dialogue. God curses the ground and he curses Satan. And then he punish in the midst of punishing Satan, he tells Satan that the seed of a woman is going to crush his head and he's going to strike her heel. And so the savior of the world has to be the seed of a woman. Has to be born of woman. You following me? If anyone came to this earth and they were not born of a woman, they could not be the savior of the world because God said that the savior of the world was going to come from the seed of a woman. Now you can go over to the book of Galatians. This is Galatians chapter 4. Go through all the gospels, Acts, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Then you're going to hit the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. I'm going to read that first verse again. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so this is really important. When you get into the book of Genesis and you find that, that mankind is the one who offended God, it only makes sense that mankind be the one who makes things right with God. Right? The offended party has to get restitution made by the one who made the offense, and that's mankind. And so it's impossible for someone who isn't born of a woman to make restitution for all of mankind. That just makes sense. You following me? Give me a little head nod to make sure you're making sense. All right, good deal. So, number two, the virgin birth made possible the uniting of full deity and full humanity in one person. Okay? So only through the virgin birth can you have someone who's fully God and fully man now understand this in order to die for the sins of man you have to be a man and in order to be lofty and weighty enough to die for the sins of man you have to be eternal and so the only way that you can be both man and eternal is if God comes to the world through being born as a child everybody keep giving me head nods if it's making sense okay Listen to these other two scenarios, and I'm going to tell you why they don't work. Think about these two possibilities. God creates a human being, and he descends to earth without any human parents. He's not human. If God just comes to earth without any human parents, he's not human. He has to be the seed of a woman. Right? You can't create something new and then that die for the sins of all the other people. It's got to be one of the people who die for all of the sins. Okay? And listen to this. And then it goes even further. If this were to happen, you wouldn't be able to see his humanity. When Jesus lived his life on this earth, people would be like, hey, that guy didn't have any parents. He's not one of us. He wouldn't have any credibility. And then listen to this. He's got to be a descendant of Adam's fallen race. Because it's Adam's race that has the problem. By the way, we're all part of Adam's race, just for the record. This other possibility. What if God brings him, that's the Savior, through two earthly parents 
through natural means of procreation. And then at some point in that young child's ministry, he becomes divine. What about that? You would go, no way, no how. Because if that happens, if two people procreate by natural means and they have a child, he doesn't get to become divine because now he has inherited sin as a result of being born through means of natural procreation. And so the way that you get someone who is fully God and fully man is that the Holy Spirit comes upon a woman, a virgin, and she has a child with God as the child's father. And it's a miracle. And if we're going to be honest... It's mind-blowing, and it doesn't make a bit of sense. But nothing about someone coming to earth and dying on your behalf, taking all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your punishment, none of that makes any sense either. And gang, I want to tell you that there was a real virgin named Mary, and she had a real betrothed husband named Joseph. And the Holy Spirit came upon Mary as a virgin, and she had a child whose father was God. That's a true story. It's not just a fable that we read at Christmas time, but it's a fact. And your salvation rests in that fact. The next one. The virgin birth makes humanity without sin possible because our sin is passed down through normal means of procreation. Now, I did get a little the, the horse in front of the cart a little bit, but by means of normal procreation, when you go back to the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis, God, excuse me, man is created in the image of God and everything is perfect about Adam and Eve. And then Adam and Eve, after they sin, have another child. They have Cain and they have Abel. And the scripture says this, it says that the man and woman came together and they had a child in their own image. And you find that man and woman are still, we are all still created in the image of God. But now there's a sense that we have, we have sin stamped on us from the beginning. And so, no offense to any of you mothers, but that newborn baby that you hold in your hands is a sinful little child. He's cute. And as far as we're concerned, by earthly standards, he's innocent. He's done no wrong to us. But in God's eyes, he's already has sin on him. And it's the sin that we pass down to him. And we've had conversations about what happens to those children if they die and things like that. And we can have those conversations later. But for the sake of inherited sin, I want you to know that those newborn babies that you hold are riddled with sin and apart from a Savior cannot be saved when they grow up to be adults. And so the virgin birth makes humanity without sin possible because sin is passed down through normal means of procreation. Now, this sin being passed down through normal modes of procreation is not just saying that the man is the problem. Right? It'd be easy to go out of here and say, see, if we could just get rid of all men and all of our kids could be supernatural, we'd have a bunch of perfect children running around. Interestingly enough, the Catholic Church did something with this. I'm not knocking Catholics, but I'm going back to uh, some Orthodox Catholic theology. The Catholics think so highly of Mary because they've made Mary into someone who is without sin also. Because they've said that if Mary had sin, then the baby would have had sin also. So they've developed a way for Mary to be sinless also. You run into problems with this because if Mary's sinless, then what about Mary's parents? And it's, it, it just doesn't work. But what I want you to see is that back in the book of Matthew, it doesn't say anything specific as to how the baby was inside of Mary without sin. I'm going to read it again. This is Matthew chapter 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. 
And so you don't know and I don't know what the Holy Spirit did inside of Mary to maintain this child being sinless. But we know without a shadow of a fact through reading the rest of these scriptures that Jesus Christ was born sinless as the son of God attributed to him. Excuse me. And it can be testified through all of the miracles and all of the other things that he did that this child was God. And so what I want you to remember that when we go about all of our Christmas festivities is that that baby in the manger, as cute as he is, as, as beautiful as the whole manger scene looks, that child is not just fully human. He's fully God as well. And that baby was worthy to be worshipped by all of the shepherds that came by. That baby was worthy to be worshipped by all of the kings that traveled all of that distance. And without that baby being fully human and fully God, you and I are still dead in our trespasses and sins. And so what I'd love for you to do when you go throughout the rest of this holiday season is when you see the manger scene, talk to your kids and your grandkids about how important it is that that baby is God and how important it is that that baby is not just God, but he is our king and he has put demands on our life that he expects. He has not put requests on our life. That baby is fully God and fully man and he has very high expectations for us. Amen? Let's go to Lord in prayer as we wind down. Father, we thank you for that baby. Father, we thank you for that baby that was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you that that baby didn't just live for himself, but he lived a life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserved. And Father, he exchanged us our life for his. And Lord, we are eternally grateful. Lord, I pray for each of us that we would wrestle this week with what it means that that baby was born of a virgin, that that baby was born sinless, fully God and fully man. And Father, I pray that as we spend time in your word this week in our quiet times, Lord, I pray that that would just come alive to us on each page of the scriptures. Father, we do pray that you'd forgive us where we fail you. And Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to live the lives that you've called us to. Lord, lastly, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that you come into their lives, forgive them of their sin, and give them a new life in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with us for our hymn of invitation. Well, it's good to see you guys this week. I hope that your Christmas season gets started off right. Hope that you're able to uh, make quick work of work to get home and enjoy your families. I love you guys. I'll be praying for you this holiday season. I want to remind you that if you signed up for our new members informational lunch to meet us over in the fellowship hall, we'll just all kind of reconvene over there, uh, eat some lunch together. Remember to check the bulletin for announcements. No service this Wednesday night. And then our Christmas cantata to look forward to on the 10th. Let's go to Lord in prayer as we close. And I'm going to ask Dr. Tarkington if you would wrap us up.